0: Now, this morning is worship and communion. We, we typically do worship on Sunday nights, and we come back and we kind of do that. Um, Bend High wasn't available on Sunday night, and so we kind of said, well, what if we just did a Sunday morning thing? And then since we've decided that, um, it seems like everyone's communicating that they really like the idea of doing it on Sunday morning, so maybe we'll have to do that again. Um, and so we just figured we'd kind of take a Sunday and do worship take communion and go that way by the way real quick note um, the sound system we've got as some new speakers it fills the auditorium better but the last number of weeks it's been pretty hot from what we understand pretty loud and so we're working with volume just so you know over the next number of weeks trying to get the right volume dialed in and if you want it louder you can always sit closer if you want it softer you can always sit further Um, that does work uh, and if it's softer, then, um, see, for me, it, would, it has to be ear-piercingly loud for me to sing, because then I know no one can hear me. <laughs> and it's actually, it, I don't even think about it, it just happens. When I don't hear my voice, I tend to sing louder. So if anyone else is like me, if we're adjusting the volume and all that, you might just need to um, either sit right by the speaker or, or, or just realize it's okay if you sing loud. Um, Nobody's probably listening to your voice, even though you think they are. All right, so uh, what I want to do is take you to Psalm 96, and then we're going to make some distinctions on what, what kinds of music there are, and then we'll get to a conclusion at the end of this. So Psalm 96, let me just read quickly through this. Psalm 96 begins, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations that the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established and it cannot be moved and he will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth, and he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. So Psalm 96 is an interesting one. It's it's all about a song, and it's all about singing. And it even begins by saying, we need to sing this new song. The song, uh, really, that's the story of God and the story of salvation. And there's something fascinating, the reason I picked this one of all the, the different Psalms in, in, the, in the Prophets where it talks about singing a new song. This one's rather fascinating for me because it, it really talks about singing our way or singing about the glory of God out among the nations and talking or singing about His marvelous deeds among all the peoples. And it's an interesting picture to me. I mean, if, uh, if it was like a, a VeggieTales movie... It would be us singing our way out into the world that the world might know about our our God, that the world might come to know God. And picture that. I mean, why would singing somehow be the thing that would lead us out into the world in power that people might know? And I think we could maybe go, ah, it's a great picture of a VeggieTales movie, but it's just poetic language. Um, let's not go too far we obviously don't go singing out into the world and and let the world know of God that way but I, I want to push back on the pushback and think about it maybe even a little deeper and say it's really interesting when God brings his people out of Egypt into the promised land and he's going to establish them in that land and, and they are confronted with this stronghold in Jericho what does he have them do? They circle and they sing and they circle and they sing and they circle and they sing. And then the walls fall and they begin to come into the land that God has promised for them. In Acts, Paul and Silas are in Philippi and they get thrown in jail because they've kind of upset the city. uh, Which is what they tend to do when they come to a city. So they've kind of upset the city, they've made themselves not welcome there. And they end up in jail. They're flogged. I mean, after they had been severely flogged, so this is chapter 16 in Acts, verse 23. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown in prison, and the jailer was commanded to gar- uh, guard them carefully. Um, so then he, he fastens them in stocks. So their backs are striped. They're probably leaning against the wall. They're in stocks. They're uncomfortable. And about midnight, probably because they can't sleep, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And then the other prisoners, as they were listening to them, um, there's an earthquake that suddenly comes, opens up the prison, and when the jailer wakes up, he's about to kill himself because his prisoners have escaped, and they shout out, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. And I think... Maybe there's something about singing of the glory of God and singing our way into the nations and singing that others might know God that's actually mysteriously, mystically true. And so I think singing is really important. So here are some distinctions I want to make because I don't think we ever talk... Uh, deeply about enough topics and so music we just take for granted but there's actually a lot of different kinds of music. So if you take notes, you can write these down but I'm listing a bunch of different kinds of music and then we'll take this kind of into the communion portion. But one of the first kinds of music is comfort music. It's comfort music. And it starts really early when you're young and you don't even know what words mean but somehow the intonations of your mother singing about um, rockabye Baby, how does that go? Um, what it's on the, on the te- uh, yeah? Is that is it? Rockabye, baby. It's not rockabye, rock-a-bye on the treetop. The wind blows and the cradle will rock. Um, so it's it starts early, uh, and it's not even about the words or the message so much as it's about the soothing quality of the music, and it begins to be comfort music. And so I think as we grow older. There are songs we remember, there are sounds we remember that are soothing. And then I think there are even, because of the significance of certain songs, it loses who the band is, it it loses what the intent of that song was, but because that particular song played a role in your life when you needed comfort, it begins to, to be forever in your life, a comfort song. It's something that when you hear it or when you play it, it takes you back to a soothing place. And so music, um, one of the types of music that we find is, is what we would call comfort music. There's unity music. Unity music is really simple. It's the national anthem, right? It's, it's something that allows a whole bunch of people to unite under one kind of symbolic uh, piece of music or art. And so that everybody comes together. And so we find that music can in in certain instances play a unifying role. We see this with soldiers. I, I don't I don't know I was what road I was on, but I was driving downtown, not downtown, like over Boyd Acres, I think it is, and there was it looked like recruits for the Marines, and they were running the road and there was a, a car driving behind them to to give them enough space and they were running in front of the car, and there was about 25, 30 of them. And there was uh, there were some active duty Marines that were kind of taking I think these young cadets or or whatever it might be ROTC out on this run. And as you drove by, you could hear them singing in their cadence. And you make up a song, and different people trade the song, but the song carries the group of people as they go, and it and it plays this role of uniting this group together, uniting them together in what it is they're doing in terms of running, uniting them together in terms of purpose, but really melding them into one unit. And so we find that there, there's comfort music and that there's unity music. There's also what would be called protest music. So if you talk about freedom movements, uh, like in South Africa, fighting apartheid, that songs or certain types of songs or music have a functional role, a justice component, where they they really become liberation songs or protest songs against the abuse of power. And when you look at most freedom or liberation movements throughout history, there was always music that would accompany them. There there were songs that were written. And so you see this kind of interesting aspect of music that um, it plays a role in protest. So comfort music, unity music, protest music. There's educational music. Educational music, my, my daughters are learning uh, for school. They're learning a timeline of history, like historical events and even the presidents. And they're learning them put to songs. And it's, it's wild um, for me to see how plastic uh, young minds really are. And how old that makes me feel. Um, it's, it's amazing to watch. Because they, they hear this song of presidents or, or timeline of events. And it, it just sticks. And, and t- two times through. And they can literally sing their way through it. And they know all the capital cities of whatever and all the presidents. And it makes me feel really dumb. Um, but that's educational music. It's music that puts to song things for you to learn. Here's the fascinating thing about traditional hymns in the Christian church. Traditional hymns, certainly the ones before this century, were written from an educational standpoint. They were were written as educational pieces of music, almost like the the timeline of presidents. um, But but what is supposed to be being learned in these hymns is, is the theology of the church. The stories of, of God and salvation and what it means to be caught up in that relationship. Why? why? Why would that be put in songs in that kind of a way? And it's simple for two reasons. One, um, coming out of the Reformation when a lot of these hymns were written, it was a, a largely illiterate class of Christians. And so if you're if you're not going to read your Bible and be able to discern theology that way, how else are you going to learn it? You learn it in the storytelling. You learn it in the songs of the community. Does that make sense? The second reason is that the reformers wanted to make sure that when we were singing and that when we came to the Lord that we were in some sense bathing our mind in theological concepts, believing the reformers had had a a really high view of, of the mind and the life of the mind, but they wanted people to be over and over washing their minds in these deep theological truths, believing that just like meditating on scripture, that that kind of gets in you and you carry it with you, that somehow singing these hymns as, as you learned them and they were imprinted on your soul, that you would carry theology with you into life. And so the hymns were actually in that genre of music, of educational music. Let me juxtapose it with a more modern form of music, experiential music. Experiential music. Modern praise songs are actually in this genre of music. So in the modern era with different instrumentation and, and um, being able to project music and also a renewed sense of, of that intimacy with God is possible, that we can come boldly before the throne of God and experience God and talk to God, that in this genre, a lot of praise songs were written that that aren't talking as deeply about theology, but really talking about God, I want to know you. It's a lot more first-person subjective. Does that make sense? Okay, so you get this interesting thing where a lot of people that either by personality or are more engaged up here or prefer a more pensive type of music, or were raised in a certain tradition, not singing the hymns is incredibly challenging because that's the interface, or, or, or that's the the method of communication, or or, or interacting with faith. Okay. Uh, For other people, where it really is about, I'm coming to have an experience of the presence of God. God said that when we gather together, that that we can really trust that this is somehow the body of Christ where Jesus is the head. And that it will be animated. It, It will have life to it. And so people are coming in. And they're, they're crying out like the Psalms, saying, I'm, I'm broken and I'm lost and I'm desperate for you, God. And somehow I, I need an experience of you to remind me and refresh me for this week. Which one's right? Which one's right? Neither. Um, neither. They're different forms of music. Educational music, experiential music. There's also celebration music. You see this in Exodus 15 with the Israelites. Exodus 15, God leads the people across the Dead Sea, uh, I'm sorry, across the Dead Sea, um, across the Red Sea, and uh, they're now set free. They get to the other side, and they can experience now that, that, that they really are free. It's not that they might be free, but all of a sudden symbolically because they've walked across and now they're on the other side, that they they know that they're free and so the song breaks forth and this is Moses and Miriam and they're singing this song to the Lord and it says, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted, the horse and its rider, he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord, Yahweh is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he is hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. This is a victory song. It's a celebration song. Um, And it's all throughout Scripture that there are times when God delivers us that the natural and fitting and appropriate end for that is for us to break forth in song and declare the praises of a God who has intervened on our behalf. There's something um, that John Piper once said that's fascinating to me uh well he he took a C.S. Lewis phrase or quote and and then put it into an analogy but but C.S. Lewis says we delight to praise that which we enjoy that the praise is not different than the enjoyment but it's actually the consummation of the enjoyment let me unpack that for you for just a second here. That if I really enjoy something, if I'm really celebrating something, if God has really intervened in my life, that singing isn't a separate act, that the singing is actually a, a part of my being able to fully experience uh, the enjoyment of that. So Piper's analogy was, was this. He says, to take what C.S. Lewis is saying, picture giving somebody tickets to their favorite um, basketball team, like like the championship game, their favorite basketball team. So you've got tickets. It's Lakers courtside, or whatever that team from the northwest is, um, Trailblazers. Um, so you're you got tickets to you got tickets to the game. You're there. You're courtside. You're you're with like somebody that you're sharing this experience with and and it's this game and you get the tickets and you get there and then um, the person that sent you says now here's the thing Um, I gave you these tickets there's only um, two rules you have to enjoy it fully like you have to experience it and enjoy this celebrate it as much as you possibly can rule number one rule number two you can't open your mouth or make any noise. And you, you begin to realize, wait a second. Okay, you can, I, I can't do that. If I'm going to fully enter into this experience, fully celebrate, fully enjoy, fully get excited about this, it's tied to me being able to verbalize. And make noise. And sing the song. That the song, the praise, is the consummation of the enjoyment. It's not a separate thing. And so when God works in your life, when you show up on Sunday and it's a week where God has moved. And you're not desperate, but you're actually filled up. It should flow into song because that magnifies and expands and allows for the fullness of that celebration. Does that make sense? Um, So there's comfort music, unity music, protest music, educational music, experiential music, celebration music. By the way, this is why every kid since the 80s has sung We Are the Champions, like at every Little League sports game. We are the champions. Like, um, there's lots of great lines from that song that, I, I'm not going to sing to you, but it's it's like, it makes the Little League, McDonald's, French fries thing so much greater when you're singing Queen, you know? <laughs> it's, uh, it's celebration music. The next one is motivational music, and by the way, I, I didn't think of this, but the other great um, song, if you're in... Uh, at least when I was playing like soccer and baseball, the, the, the other great song from the 80s that you sing is Eye um, of the Tiger, right? So one is a victory song. The other one's a motivational song. "I of the Tiger is the ultimate motivation song. It's, it's what it was in the movie. It's when, it's when Rocky's going from like kind of great to like really great and he's running down the beach. And this is when Sylvester Stallone turned from just an actor who's Italian into really buff Sylvester Stallone, Um, which he still is. You know, I mean, this is when that transformation happened. It happened during Eye of the Tiger. Um, So you have celebration music, Queen, and you have motivational music, and I have no idea who sung Eye of the Tiger. Um, You also have music of lament. We have a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations, which is a lament. And it's filled with this need to intone a, d- a different kind of voice and, and and vibe into life. That somehow life can't fully, you can't fully grapple with the depths of, of pain or despair or suffering or confusion or lostness or loneliness unless there's some kind of, medium that helps you just be depressed like you want to be. I mean that in a good way. Um, it's music of lament. And we all know the role that, that lament can play in our life in the times that we need it. Um, music of lament. There's also remembrance music. So this will be the last one. Turn to Psalm 121 if you would. Psalm 121. It's the second of 15 psalms that are referred to as the psalms or the songs, the songs of ascent. That the festivals, when the Israelites would come into Jerusalem for the festivals three times a year, that they would sing these songs as a community. That the priests, as they were ascending the steps in Jerusalem, would sing these songs as some some kind of a sacred rite. And so these 15 psalms that go from Psalm 120 to 134 are a really famous and deep, meaningful chunk um, of scripture. And Psalm 121 reads this way I lift my eyes, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And he will not let your foot slip, and he who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel would neither slumber, Nor sleep, the Lord watches over you, and the Lord is your shade at your right hand, and the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. And so, picture a family or a whole kind of village coming to Jerusalem, and it's an upward journey. Again, the songs of ascent kind of speak to that, and. In the Psalms, when this was written, it would have been um, nearer to the time that the Ark of the Covenant, which had been lost in some sense in the wars of Israel with their neighbors, had come back through the hills back to Jerusalem. And so as you're walking up and you're going towards Jerusalem, you're looking at the hills where where God had come in in the Ark, which was symbolic, and then come up to Jerusalem where it was placed uh, in the Holy of Holies, and you're singing, I look to the mountain, to the hills, where my help comes from. And the Lord, he's the maker of heaven and earth, and then ultimately he's going to be there for me both now and forevermore. And so as you're coming to do the Passover, as you're coming to do any one of these um, festivals, which all are festivals of remembrance. And remember, in the in the Old Testament, God was always calling his people to remember um, That's why uh, a Jewish friend of mine once said that forgetting, to, to the Jewish mind, forgetting is pride. Forgetting is pride. Remembrance is humility. And so God is always calling people to remember. Why? Because when you remember, you understand the role that God has played in delivering you. And then ultimately you're able to look at the problems of today and tomorrow and go, God is going to have to play a role in delivering me with this, that it's not just about me, pride. And so as we're remembering these songs uh, and the deeds that God has done and we're coming to take part in these festivals, the Israelites are, are singing what we would call songs of remembrance. Songs of remembrance. And so that's kind of what I want to... Jump off of um, by the way, another way of saying uh, remembrance music is memorial music uh, memorial art or memorial uh, memorial music is a really profound art form in world history and, and we could go really deep into that, but in this memorial memorial music or remembrance music i I came to this thought because sometimes when we come into church and we're singing, i think I think first off. Half the time people are like, I don't understand why we're singing. There's very few other places in my life where I walk in and we're singing. Like, what what is it about Christians and all this singing? And I think it's important to go through and talk about. Say there's a reason for this. And that in the reasoning for this, we see that there's a depth to this. And when we see that there's a depth to this, we're confronted with this this reality of, am I going to be a part of or enter into this music or am I not? And karaoke has taught me something. That singing really is a choice, ultimately. Is it not? I mean, when you do karaoke, it has nothing to do with the music or the song. It's really all about your choice to enter into an experience um, with other people in that moment. That karaoke is a choice. Music, half the time, to enter into it is a choice. It's the same thing when, when they show football players... Uh, at the singing of the National Anthem. They'll go down the line, and it's amazing the difference from one player to the next. Some players are just completely tuned out and just looking around or waiting for the game to start, and other people are entering into this, and there's some kind of a symbolic, meaningful gesture that's being done here, and they're looking at the flag, and they are singing along or mouthing the words, and that's a choice that those players make that the other players don't. It's a choice. And so when we talk about singing, when we talk about remembrance music, when we talk about experiencing some, something together as the body of Christ, what really is at the center of a lot of this is, one, recognizing the importance of this, the humility and the remembrance, the gravitas, the history and tradition of singing, that in some sense our singing is going to be what carries us forward into this world, proclaiming that there's a God, that there's a, a weightiness to it, and that ultimately our participation is our choice. Today, it's our choice. Next Sunday, and the Sunday after, and the Sunday after, and every Sunday that we meet here, every Sunday that you come here, your participation is a choice. Some Sundays, it's easier. Some Sundays, the music might be too loud, and and it's harder, but it's a choice. And so now, I think the band's gonna come out. I wanna just transition us to the Lord's Supper, or what we call Communion there are two rituals of the faith of the, of the New Testament era that are probably the oldest, richest, and deepest. And one is baptism. And it's an identif- uh, identification with Jesus in his death and resurrection that literally I'm being baptized into the name of Jesus. I'm dying, going underneath the water, and then coming out of the water and in some sense picturing or resembling the resurrection that I now have a new life. In Jesus Christ. But I think a lot of us who have been baptized, or if you're thinking about or would even entertain being baptized, you realize it's, it's one action, one day. What do you do the next month when life is hard? What do you do the next year when you've undergone significant pain? What do you do two or three years later when you're struggling with your faith? What is the ritual or the act or the thing that the church has always convened around as kind of a a means of grace where, where we're encountering or experiencing or taking in the sustaining grace of our Lord to help us continue to walk worthy of his name? And that's the Lord's Supper, it's communion. It's when Jesus, the night before he died, gathered together his disciples, his closest disciples. And he took the elements of the Jewish Passover, bread and wine. And he said, from now on when you do this, the most simple of elements, the most basic of food, the most basic of drink, and, and, and this pointed to God delivering them from Egypt, the Israelites. And Jesus says, now these most basic of elements, bread and wine, they now refer to me and my body and the blood that I'm going to shed the witness of my love for you because love has no greater expression than to lay down its life for another that that the bread the most basic of food and the wine the most basic of drink that when you come and you partake of these there to be simple reminders of what i've done for you that i really have set you free and that in paying the penalty of sin i've opened up the way for resurrection that i've made firm your hope um and, and so we come and we touch back to what Jesus did. In a very visceral sense, we're able to connect with what Jesus is doing in our life today. And then even more than that, we're also able to look forward and hope and say, God gave us this symbol that we would always be able to remember, call ourselves back to, and then look forward and hope both in the past now, and forevermore, that God sustains, God intervenes, and ultimately will save us through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. So when we take communion, that's what we're remembering. When we sing the songs that are going to accompany this, that's what we're memorializing. And so as they sing, um, it just it's going to be solemn, but you can take a moment in prayer. Uh, you can come up right away, but just gather in the aisles. There's some in the back. Gather in the aisles, come forward, rip off some bread. And as in a lot of traditions, you dip into the cup, not drink from the cup. But you can dip into the grape juice or the wine. Um, You can help the person with you. You can go back to your your seat and pray. Um, But just remember the grace and the beauty of what God has done through Jesus for our redemption and salvation, that this is for us. On the ends... um, There's gluten-free. In the far right, in the back, there's gluten-free, which is a a new wrinkle on an old tradition. Um, So let me pray briefly, uh, and then we'll take communion together. Father, let us be people who remember. Let us be people who sing. Let us be people who proclaim to the nations the glory of the God we serve. Pray that in your name.